It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, it's hard for me to believe that this morning we actually finish up our eight-week study in the book of Titus. Eight weeks ago, we started this journey of looking through this book, this, this little book with big lessons, as we call it, uh, because it's only three chapters, uh, but there's just so much in the book. Of course, Titus gets his name because Paul's writing a young protege by the name of Titus, and he's writing really to do a couple of things. First of all, to, to help establish the church's that are on this island of Crete. What does it look like to establish a church of leadership and, and what should the community uh, look like? But then also just how to live the Christian life. It, it's amazing to me, uh, I think it was like week two or week three, we looked at the fact that, that one of their own prophets, which was a philosopher, actually said that Cretans were liars and lazy and gluttons and, and all these type of things. And, and, and Paul says that's true. And in the ancient uh, Greco-Roman world, uh, the, to be Cretan was to be known as a liar and a deceiver. In fact, the Greeks had a term called Cretanize, uh, in English of what the, the Greek was, which was this, that the, the Greeks sort of held as a standard. If you could deceive people, that was like something they looked up to. Um, but they said the Cretans took it to even a low le lower level than they would accept. And, and yet through the time, that the gospel was presented to, on the island of Crete eventually uh, to be Cretan uh, in, in the, like outside of the first into the second century was to be synonymous with Christian. That God radically changed that culture because of the gospel, because of the work of God in the life of, uh, of these individuals. And so th this book is just packed with so much good information. It's, it, it's, it's about strengthening our faith. It's about living what we believe. In fact, I often say this, my, my great prayer is that when people come and, and are a part of what we're doing here at Crosswinds, that they believe, if nothing else, we believe what we say we believe. <laughs> that we're found guilty. That if we say we believe in Jesus and we believe in his word, that, that we're found guilty of just that. And so someone may come in and go, I don't know how I feel about Jesus or I don't know how I feel about scripture, but I believe they believe it. Uh, we don't want to be a, 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 a gathering of people that just sort of talk about the things of God but don't know him. Or, 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 or talk about God's word but don't live it. We, we want to be people who are guilty, found guilty of believing these things by the way we live and the way we treat one another. And the book of Titus is all about that. In, in fact, I, when, I, when I think of the book of Titus, it's really talking about Christ as, as our anchor. As our anchor. If you've ever, ever been out, I can remember fishing when I grew up in Florida out in the bay. And the bay's an interesting thing. Tampa Bay is either uh, really calm, but when a storm comes in off the Gulf, it can come out of nowhere. And, and you can be out there fishing and, and all of a sudden just turn around and it means like a wave of storm comes through. And, and I'll tell you what, an anchor is not a bad thing when the waters are treacherous. I remember one time being out on the water and, and turning around and I was facing and looked over and the storm was coming. I said to my brother, we got to get out of here. And we were just in this little boat, probably too little to really be out in the bay, but, but you know, hey, we were out there anyway. And, and he was going full speed and trust me, we weren't moving that fast. It was so bad. He said, look, do you mind if we may have to crash into the mangroves just so this thing doesn't take us out into the middle of the bay? And I said, well, do your best. And we got back and we're able to put in just, just in time. But the reality of it is, if we could have been able to just go to the side, had an anchor, we would have been so much safer. And Christ is our anchor. Christ is our anchor. And over and over again in Scripture, we're to understand that. But also, Christ used, uses other people to, to be a part of our life, to help us as we navigate through the treacherous waters uh, that life can be. 
And so Christ is our anchor, but he uses other people as well. And we're created to be relational. We're created to be in relationship. And so that shouldn't surprise us. Now, the problem is, is that many of us have been hurt in relationships. And because we've been hurt, we wonder, can we trust? Can we trust? And I just want to encourage you this morning as we go through God's word that maybe you're one of those who is just like, man, I've been hurt. Trust. Let God take you on a trust journey within the family of God. Now, I want to I I be really honest. You know, churches, I don't care how good they are, right? Good in quotes. Uh, how good they are. They're messy because we're a part of it. I like to call it a sacred mess. We've been around here for a while. You've heard me say it that way before. Sacred because God's a part of it. Messy because we are. And, and if you don't think you're messy, you're one of the messiest among us. Nothing's more messy than a person who denies their mess. But when God's working in our life, when God's doing something in our midst, we're able to be there for one another, and we need each other. In fact, I know the, in my own life that, that Christ is my anchor, but he's used individuals in my life so, so many times. Nearly 10 years ago, I was going through a very difficult period, and God had already put a support group around me. You know what they did? They sat with me. They even cried with me. <laughs> yeah, I cry sometimes. They prayed with me. They encouraged me. I mean, they were literal ambassadors of God's love. One individual by the name of Jim, I call him that because that was his actual name. Uh, Jim, uh, I was in Michigan. I can't say how many people go, we'll just call him. No, his name is Jim. And Jim lived in the Indianapolis area, and uh, he was doing work up in Michigan quite a bit, and he traveled for his job. And he would come over so he could sit face-to-face with me. He would call me often and say, hey, look, I'm in the area. And then I'd find out where he was. He was not in the area. He would drive miles out of his way, much time out of his way, just so he could sit face to face for several months. He never missed a day to send me a prayer text. Uh, I mean, just was faithful. One One of those ambassadors of God's love and God used him in such a powerful way. He's now with Jesus. And I don't know... Uh, what that's like, like it would all be speculative theology, but if he is, if he, if he can pray for me, if he knows what's going on, I'm sure he still is, um, but, but if not, if he's just having so much fun up there, I'm okay with that too, because that's sort of how I picture heaven, and you know, you've heard me say this before, many people are like, well, my parents, well, they're looking down on you, I'm like, I really hope not, because if I read the book right, it's so good up there, they probably don't have time to do that, like they're still in all, amen, church, and I'm okay with that, I'm okay with that, I want to, I want to be a part of that all when I'm up there. But unmistakably, Christ is our anchor, but he uses the church, he uses brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us. And, and that's what Paul really does when he wraps up the book. He, he emphasizes that. In fact, I have a confession to make. When I first was putting the messages together and sort of putting down the outline to, to put the series together, this message wasn't there. I was going to throw it into last week's message because I thought, well, what can there be in a closing? He mentions a few people. He makes a simple statement. And I felt really checked in my spirit. If it's in scripture, it's important. Give it its own time. And I hope you're as blessed as I am with what God's word points out in this closing of the book of Titus. So Titus 3, 12 through 15, Paul's final final words in the book of Titus. He says, when I, Paul speaking to Titus, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend a winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in faith. Grace be with you all. 
And so when we look at Titus 3, 12 through 15, what Paul really emphasizes is the importance of fellowship, of genuine Christian community. And he starts off in, in verse 12 again. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend a winter there. So what is Paul instructing Titus to do? To come to me, he says. Paul's saying, uh, instructs Titus to come to him in Nicopolis. And I find that really interesting. First of all, because, because Paul's not a one-man army. He, he needs Titus. He's expressing a need for somebody else. And, and to me, that, that's, that's so good to hear Paul say that because Paul wrote like two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. Like, how many of you think that's pretty cool? You know, that, that, that he's an individual who was able to say, not that I've already arrived, but follow me as I follow Jesus. Like, you know, he's this like guy that we could sit back and say is sort of this, this super Christian. And yet Paul's like, no, no, I'm just like all of you. I need God and I need people too. And he needs Titus. I mean, we're created to be relational. Even, if you, even, even, the most, even the most introverted person is created to have relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with other people. You know, this may be hard for some of you to know this, but I'm not a very patient person. And, and this whole foot thing has been driving me nuts. Uh, you know, I've been laid up a little bit. So the other day, I, I decided to, I was going to go food shopping with my wife, Krista, and really, the, the deal was, I could go if I used one of those scooters. You know what I'm talking about? Now, you know, I don't know if, ladies, if you noticed, but the, the male ego is a very big thing, in case you haven't figured that out, right? I know our society tries to break down the differences, but, but there are some. And, and I, I, my first thought was, I'm not scootering around nowhere. But then when I realized the only way I could be around people was a scooter, I went, okay, I'll do it. If there's a lot there, I'm not going to take the last one. Wouldn't you know they were all there? <laughs> so I hop in a scooter and I'm going around and I figure, who's going to be here? I'm probably not going to see anyone I know. All of you were at Wegmans yesterday. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. And, and so I'm going around. I mean, there are people who have been coming here. Some of you are probably here in this service are watching online who came up and said, oh, you're the pastor of Crosswinds, right? And, and they're newer. And I said, yeah, I yeah. am. They said, we haven't been able to introduce ourselves yet. So we're like getting to know each other in Wegmans, right? And then I like to play. My grandkids were with us. So they were in one of those cool green carts, which I wish they had when I was a kid. And, and she's pushing. And then Chris would like, you know, let them sit there. She was looking on the counter. So like a shark, I'd come around. They couldn't see me. And I'd bump them. And, and, and do things. So I thought, I'm going to get kicked out of here, right? And I would do something like that, and I'd hear someone laugh, and I'd go, oh, Pastor Craig. And so I was, like, getting called out all over the place. And you know what? And it was a blessing. I was around people. We're relational. We're created for that. We need that. And even though maybe in our past we've been hurt, and it's, it's, it's made us a little, a little sensitive to putting ourselves out there, I just want to encourage you this morning. God does want you to understand that you belong to him, you belong to his church, that we're family. We need one another. And Paul simply says, I need you, Titus. Now, we don't know who Artemis is. He mentions two people, Artemis and Tychicus. We don't know who he is. He's only mentioned here in scripture. But Tychicus was one of Paul's kingdom associates. And I believe one of these two is a replacement for Titus. In other words, when they arrive, Titus, you're free to come to me. And he says, come to me in Nicopolis. When I studied this a long time ago, for about a dozen people, we studied the book of Titus together. When I looked at Nicopolis, I thought, no big deal. Who cares where Nicopolis is? And one of the 12 thought it was a big deal, but since scripture probably matters. 
And he looked it up, there were several cities that, Nicopolis, like several Nicopolis cities that it could have been. But the most possible one, the one that probably was, was where Paul was wintering because in that part of Greece where Nicopolis was, it was warmer. And so at first I thought, well, Paul was a snowbird. And so he went somewhere where it was sort of nice. And he's like, hey, Titus, come on, we'll take a little R&R. And then I realized, no, what he's saying is we can do some real work here. If we were anywhere else, we may have to be wintered in. But here, we can actually continue to build God's church. But I can't do it alone. I need you. Think about that. Paul, I need you, Titus. Come to me. Paul understood the, the importance of fellowship. In fact, he learned it because when you think about the model of, of the church from the very beginning was Jesus set people out in groups. And when Paul's called out in Antioch to be a missionary, him and Barnabas go as a team. And then they have this little whatever happens, and they both lead teams. Team is always the way that God wants us to do life. Never solo. And then look at what he writes in verse 13. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And I find this really interesting. Paul instructs Titus to help Zenos and Apollos, to help them. Now, why do I find that interesting? Well, really because of Apollos. Because, again, Zenos, we have no clue who he is. I'm sure he was a cool guy, but we don't know. He's only mentioned here in Titus. But Apollos, we know who he is. He was a Christian Jew from Alexandria. And he was a traveling evangelist. Now, Paul did impact his life. Paul instructed him that, that maybe he needed someone to pour a little more deeper into him. And, and so the early church understood that, that Apollos had this powerful speaking gift, but really some shallow doctrine. And so a couple of people mentor Apollos. Um, but he's not part of Paul's crew. Now, why do I keep saying that? Because Paul always thought kingdom. Like he always thought kingdom. Like he, he didn't, it wasn't his own kingdom, it was God's kingdom. And he must have heard that Apollos and this guy Zenos is on the island spreading the gospel. And he says to Titus, do what you can to help them in their ministry. Not because they're doing what we're doing, but because we're all part of the same family. And I think it's important we understand that, 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 that in, at the end of the day, it's not about my kingdom, right? The kingdom of Craig. It's not even about our kingdom, like the kingdom of crosswinds. It's God's kingdom. In fact, I talked to a church planner. He's planning a church in Ithaca. And I was talking to him, and our district's broken down to areas. He's not in our area. And I said, I'd like to do something to help you. Because Ithaca, by the way, in our area, in our region, is known as, a, as sort of the graveyard of churches. Uh, very few churches really stick there. And so the fact that they're brave enough to go there, I thought, man, we've got to do something to help you. The Crossland's family would love to help you. And he said, I, I just don't understand. I said, look, we don't have to have our name on anything. We just want to help you because what you're doing is advancing God's kingdom. We're not in competition with any Bible-believing church. Now, I had a mentor many years ago that said, if they're not teaching God's word, they're not sheep. So you're not stealing sheep if they're not learning God's word, right? But if they're in a Bible-believing church, I'm not in competition with them. You know, we got brothers and sisters at Zion. We have brothers and sisters at, at, at Life Street. We have brothers and sisters all over these, this area that are in Bible-believing churches. Go there. Learn, learn what God has for you. Be sent out in God's name. Amen, church? Let's support each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's believe in each other. And Paul really, really models this. When I was uh, called to go back to school after being in ministry for eight years, I was called to go back to, to graduate school, to seminary. And you have to understand, that was a big call for me because I didn't even want to go to undergrad. Like about my first year, second year in the undergrad, I went to one of my professors and I said, you know, I really think like I've learned enough. 
Like I got the Holy Spirit and the Bible. I don't need anything else. What if Jesus comes back and I waste my time at school? I literally said that. And he was so gracious. And he said it in such a scholarly way, but if I could just sort of put it down to what he said to me was, you need to grow up. <laughs> and he's so right, I'm still struggling on that one. But basically, you need to grow up, stay here, you know, let people pour into you and then go out. So my goal was never to go back to school because I was so thankful when I got out of it. But here it was, this call to go back to school and, and we knew it was gonna cost some money. We didn't have a lot of it, but we were being obedient. And a friend of mine named Mark, and Mark had been a part of the church that I was a part of right out of college. But for several years earlier, he had went away. It was been like two years. He'd been there about six years in this other church in Pennsylvania. And God had really blessed him financially. And he heard that I was called to go back to school. And he called my lead pastor, the guy who was mentoring me out of college, and said, I want to invest in Craig's education. Now, he had his own thing going, right? But, but he saw something in me and what God was doing and wanted to invest in me. And, and why did he call the lead pastor? Because Mark knew me, and he knew that if he had called me, I would, my, remember that male ego thing? I would say, no, 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 use your money elsewhere, right? There has to be better uses than sending it to me. But because John was my mentor, this is how he said, he said, Mark wants to do this, and by the way, you will accept it. <laughs> you sort of get a theme here, you got to talk direct to me. And, uh, and I went, yes, sir, yes, sir. Why do I share that with you? Because where much is given, much is expected, and, and I want to pass that forward. Like any time I think about what, what I want to do with my life and how I want God to, to work through me, I think there's been many people who have invested in me, and I just want to pass that forward. I want to be about his kingdom. I want to see people prosper. I want to see people find salvation and freedom. Right, right church? And Paul is just writing this selfless thing. Hey, help Apollos. Help this guy, Zenos, the lawyer. Um, even lawyers can be helped. And, and, you know, he says, you know, help, help them out. You know, see, see, see what God, you know, see if they have what they need to do what God's called them to do. And then he writes this in verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. Not to be unfruitful. Paul instructs Titus to encourage believers to keep the main thing the main thing, Christ in his kingdom. And it's so important. Remember what I said in like the second or third message? We, we read it, right? That they were known to be lazy, the Cretans. Like they were known that. Like one of their own said, hey, you want to know us? We're sort of lazy people. I don't get it, but that was sort of something they were. And, and Paul's saying what? Be fruitful. Don't be lazy. Don't be unfocused. You know, like he's been talking about that the whole letter. Be about what matters. And I, I think about that, and I think, what would happen if we were really honest with ourselves before God? Like, what would it really look like to be truly honest before God and say, God, look at our budgets. Look at the time. And I'm not talking about us as cross ones. I mean, us as believers, followers of Christ, individuals. God, look at my time. How do I invest my time? How do I invite my, invest my talent? How do I invest my treasure? You go, I don't have treasure. Anything you have is a treasure. How do I invest my testimony? And if you looked at that, would it speak kingdom or something else? And this is what I've learned in life. I've learned that the only thing I can take with me is people. Like when everything's boiled down, no matter what quote-unquote legacy I leave, the only one that matters in eternity is people. I have a friend who, who uh, you've heard me talk about him. His name's John. He's, he's dealing with... Uh, um, uh, uh, pancreatic cancer right now 
and, and uh, I sat with him. Matter of fact, I just, we just taped, uh, recorded uh, three podcasts with him. It'll be out in January, w- well worth to listen to. Um, but, I, but I've sat with him recently, and we, we've talked through sort of what he's learned through this, because I met with him like a month ago, midway. He pastors in Ohio. We met in Erie, and I sat with him. He was a year ahead of me in school. We've been friends for over 30 years, most of our lives together. And, and, and I tell you what, he just has wisdom. Sometimes when you just give yourself to God in a difficult situation, he lays wisdom in your life. And he was just speaking this wisdom. And he looked at me, he said, Craig, he said, I always knew this, but now that I sort of realize that my time on earth may be limited, I want to make sure my life matters. And when we left, this is what he said, and I'll say it to you, you're all going to die. Like I want to encourage you this morning. (laughs) So when you leave and someone says, why'd you go to church? What'd you learn? You can say, well, our pastor said we're all going to die. But we are, right? I mean, this is what he said. He said, listen, Craig, he said, I, I looked, he said, there's been like billions of people who've lived on planet earth, billions, right? And he said, when I read scripture, there's only two people who haven't died that we know of. And my first thought was Jesus. And he said, you're probably thinking Jesus, but Jesus died. Like Jesus died for our sins on the cross and was resurrected. He said, all we know in scripture is Enoch. You know the story of Enoch? All all it says about him is he was walking with the Lord and the Lord sort of like, he's he's not there anymore. And so the picture is like, he's like having this conversation with God and God's like, this is a great conversation. Let's pick it up in heaven. And like, so he didn't die, he just goes to heaven. And then Elijah, Elijah has this chariot type thing happen. And I mean, that'd be pretty cool to see. And and so they're the only two, everyone else dies. And and if if we're not here when the rapture happens, you know, you hear the trumpet, like the trumpet goes right now, then we don't die, we just get raptured. Everyone else dies. And he says, why is it that we believe we're gonna break the statistics? Isn't that the truth? Like you can do things to hopefully live longer, but you're still gonna die. In fact, he said to me, he said, Craig, this is what I know. If God would reveal to me right now that every treatment I'm having wouldn't work, he said, I would stop eating the way I eat. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm eating so healthy right now because it helps me with the chemo. It helps me with all these things. He goes, but if I knew I was going to die like in a month or two or three, he said, I would go back to eating chocolate cake. He said, that would actually be my diet. (laughs) I loved it. He said, I wouldn't do this. He goes, it wouldn't be worth anything. He goes, "But but I wouldn't change a thing. He says, he says, my family is a focus. People are a focus. He goes, I see people who are part of his family who don't know Jesus. And he goes, you know what? My great desire is I want them to be with me. He says, we're all going to die. And in the end, will our life really matter? And then as I left, he said to me, he said, here's the thing, Craig. You're thinking, poor John. He said, you could drive home. He literally said this to me. This is our friendship. He said, you could be driving home today and die. (laughs) That's what he said. That was his farewell moment for me. I said, well, thank you, encourager. You know where I get my encouragement gift from. I, I said, thanks. You know, you know, he said, no, really. He said, he said, Craig, please, if I can say anything to you, live for Jesus. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. And, and so many of us, even church people, like we, 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 we act like Jesus is important, but we don't really live for him. Our budgets don't show it. Our time management doesn't show it. Our gifts don't. I'm just being honest. I'm just speaking because John's really challenged me on this one. Live for Jesus. Make sure the people around you believe what you say you believe, and maybe they'll come into the kingdom and be there. He has someone he loves deeply, not walking with the Lord, and he's like, man, my big prayer, matter of fact, he prayed like a month before he was diagnosed. He said, even if it takes my death, bring this person to you, Christ. And his wife said, why did you pray that prayer? (laughs) Right? Come on. He says, if that person would come to Christ through this hardship I'm going through, it would be worth everything. 
And I said, Lord Jesus, give me that heart. See, Christ leads us as a Christian community to dare to order our lives around his agenda for us in the world. And a Christ-like spirit shows itself in practical goodness. Lord, help us live for you. And I love this. This is Paul's final words in Titus. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And I was reading that, and Paul sends greetings for the believers with him to the believers with Titus and offers a short yet powerful prayer. And I read that, and I thought, man, it's so easy to overlook verse 15. Like, you've read all this great stuff in Titus, and you sort of read through verse 15, and then go on to the next book you're going to read, right? And yet there's so much there. That the power of encouragement. Like, can you imagine Titus and the crew? They're sitting here. They're reading this letter that Paul sent to them. And in the end, Paul says, not only do I send greeting, but those around me who are followers of Christ, who you might not even know, are praying for you. Like, they believe in what you're doing. In the power of encouragement. In my office, and I, I can show any of you, if you come into my office, I have this whole filing cabinet filled with notes that I've received since high school. Encouragement notes. That, that when I get an encouragement note, I don't throw them away. I, put them, I just put them in that filing cabinet. And people have asked me, do you, do you reread them? You know, to sort of find encouragement when you need it. And the answer is no. I just open the filing cabinet, and it's filled with them. And that's all I need to see. I'm like, wow. And so if you've ever sent me an encouragement, I still have it. I don't know where it is because I just put it in there, and they're not like in any order. <laughs> but it's there. Now, you may ask, do you read the bad notes or the difficult notes? And the answer is I do. I, I even file those. But they go in a round file that's taken out every night. <laughs> so, so I read both of them. I really do because I want, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be teachable. So if it's an encouragement note, I read it and I keep it. If it's not an encouragement one, I read it and I say, Lord, what do I need to learn from this? And then I file it in the other thing. But the power of encouragement is, is tremendous. My mom, who's with Christ right now, but when she came to Christ, she came to Christ like a decade after I did. In fact, my mom, my dad, my brother all came to Christ like a decade after I did. And, uh, and I must have been in college. She'd been a believer for a few years. And she said to me, she said, Craig, I feel really guilty. I don't know what I'm doing for Jesus. And I said, Mom, you're an encourager. You're an encourager. God's giving you the gift of encouragement. Now, let's just be honest about this. All of us are supposed to be encouragers. But some of you all have the gift. Use it. And she said, well, what good is that? I said, Mom, you give, like, so many cards. Like, my dad said when she got saved, if he had just known that she would buy so many cards from Hallmark, he would have bought stock. <laughs> like, she bought so many cards. He's, he's, like, he's like, you don't realize how much your mom spends on encouragement cards. Like, she, would, she just did. But I don't know about you, but in a day and age where there's, like, text and email, there's something about a card, a note. And she would send tons of them to people, just encouraging them. I thought, you're an encourager. Never, never underestimate the power of an encouragement word. Because I know what it means in, in my life. And Paul, and Paul was an encourager. He's encouraging Titus. The crew there is encouraging them. And I want to say this morning, but one of the power of this, of us gathering together, is encouraging one another. You don't know who walks through these doors. You don't know what they need. Like, you don't know each other's stories. Some of them you do, but you don't know all of them. And you know, there's, there's a problem with us here in America. One of the things we do is we go, how are you doing today? And we don't really care. We, it's a greeting. In fact, when the graduate school I went to was known for its international students. They would, they would hold this, this seminar for international students on, on like Americanisms. 
And I was sitting with some friends, and one was from Korea, and the other was from Germany, and we're sitting there, and I'm like, what, what type of, th-? I was curious, like, what type of things would they teach you in that seminar? Because we had a different seminar if you're from the States, and they had their own thing. They said, well, this whole idea of how are you doing? They said they taught us, you that really don't answer it. You just say, yeah, I'm doing fine. And you know that's true, because if you actually ask someone how they're doing, they go, well, actually, you know most Americans go, oh, goodness, where are we going with this? Right? You don't want to admit it. Maybe this is, Okay. And I felt horrible. <laughs> I felt like, this is horrible. And so I started a practice. So when I say, how are you doing? And someone says, fine. Oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes I'll say, really? And it blows their mind. And sometimes they'll say, well, actually. And instead of me going, oh, I asked. Tell me. I want to hear it. Can I pray with you? You don't know what a smile for someone coming in the the room can change their life. You don't know their story. You don't know what they're going through. And you may never be able to totally empathize because maybe they're going through something totally different than you've ever experienced. But one thing we all can understand is encouragement's a powerful thing. Let's be encouragers. And then the simple prayer, Paul prays, grace be with you all. Simple, right? Grace be with you all. Grace, the unmerited love, the goodness of God be with each and every one of you. Think about that for a minute. I think about on Sunday mornings when we gather here and someone stands up here and says, go in God's grace or go in God's peace or go in God's strength. And so many times we're like, okay, thank God we're done. We have stuff to do today, right? None of you feel that way. I know that. But, 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 but a couple do. And you should look at them because I'm telling you. But they do. And, and yet the reality of it is what powerful words to speak over us. Like go in God's grace. May, may his undeserved love and goodness wash over you today. Go in God's peace as you head out into a chaotic world. May you understand your peace is in Christ and may it wash over you. When you feel like you have nothing to give, nothing else within you, may the power of Christ reign in your life. I don't know, I'm, I'm getting excited. If I didn't have this boot on, I'd be doing this type of thing. I mean, come on. What a powerful word. And, and I think about the challenge of life, right? As believers, we need Christian fellowship. As believers, we need partnership in living and spending and spreading the love and message of Christ. Paul was not a one-man army, neither are we. We need to learn we belong to him. We belong to each other. And, and, and life's like a hike up a mountain. And when I wrote that, I actually could have taken a hike. It wasn't written last week when I was sitting down. But, but, but think about it. When you're hiking up a mountain, and have you ever hiked up in a trail, and the trail's so tough, and like your, 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 your lungs are burning? And then all of a sudden you look around and you think you're alone, but you look around and you realize, no, no, you're with other people. Doing things with a team is much easier than doing it alone. I've never been a solo sport person for the most part. I've been a team sport person. There's something about a team. And God's church is that team. When our lungs are burning, when we think we can't make it, we're there to encourage each other. We're there to to help each other. We're there to, to share what we have with each other so we can make it through this thing. Sometimes I hear people say, all I need is Jesus. And I go, well, yeah, but in his word it says, all you need is Jesus and one another. (laughs) And one another. We need each other. I need you. You need me. You go, I don't know. No, you do. We need each other. You're not meant to do life alone. God has more for you than that. Our faith is not a solitary endeavor. It, It really is a shared expedition. 
And so Paul writes this amazing book, inspired by God, right? To the Titus. And he closes it by saying, here's some people we can help. Here's some people we can, we can do life with. Come do life with me. Don't stay there. Come to the Nicopolis. And by the way, may the grace, may the, may, the, may the unmerited, the undeserved love and goodness of God wash over you in all that you do. And I say that to you this morning. May you find hope in Jesus. May you find healing in Jesus. May you find acceptance in Jesus. And may we model that by sharing those things with one another. Amen, church? We belong to him. We belong to each other. We're part of the family of God. And I can't help but think, close with this thought, what it looks like for all of us believers to take responsibility of being the church, of encouraging one another, caring for one another, being patient with one another. You know how the word says be patient with one another because sometimes we are just so, so much a pain in the neck, right? Be patient with one another. How that could transform our region. And it starts with me, it starts with you, it starts in our home, it starts in our workplace, it starts in our schools. God, use us. You say, is there a culture that's unreachable by God? Absolutely not. May our region... May our region know that there's a God who loves them. And may they they know it because we do. We do. I want all of you to be with me in heaven. That's what we need to say to our region. I want all of you to be with me in heaven. And I'm going to live like that. Keep me accountable, church. Keep me accountable. It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? Christ be our anchor. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you so much for the blessing of gathering together and, Lord, hopefully be an encouragement to each other, praying for each other. (laughs) Again, we don't know all the stories that that come into this room, that come on this campus, who are online right now, but we know you know them intimately. And you don't call us to know everyone's story, but you do call us to be loving and encouraging and to be willing to know somebody's story. I often say that there's... There's no way that someone at Crosswinds could be known by everyone, but everyone should be known by somebody. And that's why we, we focus so much here on like connect groups and one-on-one discipleship and serving groups. It, 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 it's about community. It's about doing life together. So Lord, I pray that no matter where we find ourselves this morning, we would take that next step of faith with you. If it's receiving you as Lord and Savior, I pray even now, Lord God, in the quietness of their heart, whether they're on campus or whether they're online. But they would say, Lord Jesus, I say yes to you. Thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. Be the Savior and Lord of my life. Lord, maybe it's someone here who's asking for healing, someone here, Lord God, who's asking for strength, for wisdom. May they turn to you and may we as the body, may we, Lord God, as your church, care and love and encourage each other through that journey no one needs to be alone and Lord would you do something in us that allows every one of us to be an everyday missionary that as you've blessed our our gathering here this morning as we scatter may we scatter in your name may our time may our talent may our treasure may our testimony Lord God reflect it because with everything said and done 
everything's said and done, all that matters is you and people. May we take as many with us as possible. May we live each day as if it's our last. And may we do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.